0: Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're continuing our watchthrough of The Magician Season 2 with Episode 12, Ramifications. Britt, would you like to start us off with a recap, please?
1: So much happens. Yeah, Because <laughs> next episode is the last one. So... Let's go through this quickly. The episode opens with Quentin and Julia asking Mayakovsky for help to bring Alice back. Mayakovsky is guilted into using his magic battery stores, and Alice is reunited with her shade and corporealized, but is angry about being trapped in a weak human body. Meanwhile, Penny is still working for the Library of the Netherlands and teams up with Sylvia to sneak into the poison room. Sylvia wants to read her own book. Though, when she does, she discovers that she dies in the poison room and tells Penny to go, because he'll die too if he helps her. Penny travels back to Breakbills to deliver the book on how to kill gods to Katie before collapsing. The book is just what they need to destroy Reynard, and after Reynard killed Senator Gaines' wife, Gaines forces Katie to kill him and collect his power into a single bullet Using Gain's info about his angry obsession with Our Lady Underground, Katie and Julia lay a trap, and Reynard shows up. But before Julia shoots him, Persephone actually shows up herself, warning Julia that there are consequences for killing a god and asking her to spare her son's life. Julia decides to let Persephone deal with Reynard, and Katie is livid about it. In thanks for sparing Reynard's life, Persephone sends Julia's shade back up to her. Back in the Fillery side of things, Margot is still in the fairy realm trying to get Fen back. Tons of Florians are still rats, and Josh now becomes the interim high king since he's the only earthling left there. Things don't go well when S from Lorius shows up at the castle and starts killing people after learning his father was turned into a rat, and Josh escapes to the fairy realm as well. Meanwhile, Banished Elliot is trying to get back to Fillory and works with Quentin to find the grandfather clock the Chatwins first used. They track it down in the collection of a Fillory fanatic who turns out to be Umber, the other god of Fillory. Umber explains that he is order and his brother Ember is chaos, which is why Fillory is out of balance as Ember is growing bored and entertaining himself with wreaking havoc on the planet. Elliot finally convinces Umber to let them have the clock portal so that they can try to save Fillory. And the episode ends as they are ready to go through the clock.
0: Yeah, so quite a bit happens. Oh let's, uh, let's get into <laughs> it. What are your magic moments from this episode?
1: Obviously, with the return of Mayakovsky, everything is always going to be hilarious. His quote, with one morning fart, I release more magic than Henry Fogg has his entire life. Excellent. <laughs> and then Quentin tells him what's asks him what's more important than a life? And Mikovsky replies, You talk like life means something. <laughs> He's just endlessly amusing. Well,
0: I love him at Alice where he just says, Don't make that face. Drugs are fun Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So delightful. Also, other great lines, Elliot, when he sees Quentin saying, It is customary to bow in the presence of your high king. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what Amber told Quentin when mm-hmm. he first saw Quentin. And Josh and Margot conversing while Margot's still in the fairy realm, and he's, you know, had had whatever seen to other mm-hmm. realms, drugs in his system. And he's like, You could say please, <laughs> and she just says, no, I literally could not.
0: <laughs> Margot.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meet Margot. <laughs> <laughs> Another just, you know, fun little line is Sylvia. I know it's hard for men to imagine women have their own reasons for doing anything, but I'm looking for my own book. <laughs> 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 it doesn't have to do with my father. <laughs> so, yeah, just... just delightful lines. Always. Yes. Other things, fountain spelunking, Mm -hmm. just that idea. I'm like, I want to go just into other worlds, (laughs) but you're tethered so you can get back out easily.
0: Absolutely.
1: Sounds so cool. (laughs) Also, it's, it's great to have the carryover of Julia still trying to be a good person. Mm -hmm. So she asks Katie, how's Penny? Still alive? (laughs) She's like, I could have worded that better. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's great to have some of that still there. Yes. And it's also great to have Penny kind of finally choosing not to save someone Mm. like not that that's the most loving choice or whatever and he was initially going to help her get out of the fountain but she said that if you carry me back you'll die too i already read that and it just him then choosing to go yeah it's it's interesting one it's you know kind of define the book, right? Mm-hmm. What happened in the book was he helped her and they both died. But having that extra information, then he chooses to make a different choice so that one of them can live. Which, yeah, kind of proves that he doesn't have that hero complex for himself. Because mm-hmm. it's not just like, "Well, I'm gonna try anyway. I'm gonna die trying." You know, he's like, "If this is really what she saw, either we both die." Or just she dies, you know, and he makes that logical choice, which, you know, it's great that his impulse is to help any person, even people he doesn't know well, uh, even people he doesn't like to get out, but not not completely override everything.
0: And it also shows her own agency. You know, I'm not just a person to save, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
0: and I'm not going to let you kill yourself trying to do that she understood she made her choice and now it's petty's choice and he needs to make the right one
1: Mm -hmm. yeah another moment that was kind of both charming and annoying (laughs) is when elliot is asking quentin about what the dragon said about getting back into fillory Mm -hmm. and and just ignores his question to talk about him being mopey about Alice. Like, Mykoski banned me from seeing her for 48 <laughs> hours. It's like, Elliot's trying to save an entire world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and, like, that is what happened in the books, right? Yeah. It was, it was some different circumstances going on, but it's just like, hey, can you come help save Fillory? No. <laughs> I have to babysit Alice because I chose <laughs> to bring her back. It's like, okay. But the moment when, you know, they're both drinking wine or whatever and Quentin slides to the floor off of his chair and then Elliot copies him is <laughs> so charming. Very charming. <laughs> but what about you? What are your magic moments?
0: Um, Yeah. In that conversation between Elliot and Quentin, when Elliot makes a Trogdor reference. Oh, yeah. I was just like, oh, these characters are such millennials.
1: Says <laughs> <laughs> so in a millennial. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but like,
0: that's the thing is that reference speaks so deeply to me <laughs> in my childhood. And I'm like, of course, Elliot would also understand that reference that deeply. <laughs> yeah. Even
1: from Indiana. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And then I also loved the joke about uh, when they're with... Umber and talking about the screenplay for a possible fillery movie. Mm-hmm. And Quentin's like, they changed the chat wins, oh, yeah. Which is such a good joke considering the magicians changes the chat wins. Yeah. <laughs> Like, oh, It's a very gosh. good meta joke about probably what a lot of fans were saying. <laughs> yeah, they
1: made them like American with... <laughs> Skateboards <laughs> or longboards, <laughs> I don't know, something so funny. Yeah, excellent. And also, the comment about the studio wouldn't pay for the talking bear, so the producer quit, like mm-hmm. just a very meadow way. Because <laughs> next season, not big spoiler, next season we will meet one of the talking bears from the books. Mm-hmm. And they did spend the expense to do it. <laughs> like, did they already know they were going to do that? And they're just teasing it, mm. like, we're committed. <laughs> But yeah, the the show has made so many changes to the books. It It is very amusing.
0: Yeah. And then my last one is just that, like, it was interesting to see Quentin standing up to Mayakovsky. Um, you know, they've had such a, like, hard relationship. Quentin and Mayakovsky have hated each other since they first met mm-hmm. each other, basically. And so, yeah, I it was nice seeing Quentin being able to, like, convince Mayakovsky to do things and to, like, talk to him that way. But I did feel like his making Mayakovsky, oh, Alice, go back to Charlie's death, Mm -hmm. like was, I don't know, I thought that was a bit of a a stretch.
1: (laughs) I mean, sure, things down the line are consequences of choices, but like, they're all consequences of choices. True. It's it's much more uh, the chat wins fault than it's. Mayakovsky Mm -hmm. for what happened, Alice. But, you know, the hope is that you do feel guilt over what happened to this student because of your carelessness and abusing your position as a professor.
0: Mm -hmm. And then finally, just the idea of metamath, like math and magic, Mm -hmm. and the connection between those, I think is really interesting. And I just love how this show continually throws out how... Magic can be touched by so many different aspects of life and society, um, and it's it's always just so cool to to see new versions of that.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Did did anybody think when they were watching and Penny goes into the poison room and they saw that like stuff floating around? I'm like, Penny, you have a scarf wrapping around <laughs> your face. Like, not that it would keep everything out, but you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was certainly just like, minimal. Do something. You are walking around too slowly. I know. This room is literally called the poison room, and it looks like there's poison everywhere. Yeah, I know. Have you never played a video game <laughs> with poison clouds that damage you as you walk through them?
1: Maybe he hasn't. <laughs> but also, I'm just like, do like an airbending move. I'm like, he's not an airbender. Okay. <laughs> like, this is, isn't there something you can... Well, he can't do magic. That's yeah. His problem yeah. Too. So use your scarf, Penny. Exactly. Use your scarf. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let's head into our next segment on setting in society. What did you bring?
1: Just... The comment that the talking beavers are in revolt demanding dental coverage Mm -hmm. is just so excellent, especially as recently a lot of different groups have been on strike in the United Mm. States for better benefits, for living wages, for, you know, all of these things that... uh, should be a given but are not in a capitalistic society so uh yeah it's just great and amusing that in this case it's beavers that want dental care yes very good (laughs) and you know also just like how quickly josh says like yeah give him dental coverage (laughs) like josh clearly even if he's not (laughs) equipped to be Thrushed into this role <laughs> as king, uh, especially during all of this chaos. But he's automatically more generous and compassionate and just like, sure, do it. Like, he's better than 99% of CEOs out there. Totally. He's just automatically like, yeah, they should get braces if they want, you know, <laughs> like, good. Um, which is, yeah, nice to see and mm-hmm. funny. Also, I think it's fun, the comment from Umber about... Jane Chapman being the watcher woman Mm -hmm. saying anyone who's always wearing a hood is obviously a character you've already met before. Mm -hmm. So like commenting on stories and some of the ways that stories use names or lack of names and things like that to signal to their audience what things mean. Like I found that really interesting uh, when I was at university and did some biblical studies like with saying named characters like you can't be the named characters Mm. so for the parable about Lazarus and the rich man you can't be Lazarus you can't be the sympathetic person here the only one you can be is the rich person because that's not the named character um so yeah just interesting things like that I I find like oh hmm.
0: Mm, absolutely yeah that's fascinating
1: and kind of for the the setting of the magicians as well again it's just really cool to see josh's herbalist magic Mm -hmm. and how different it is i mean i wouldn't really want that magic i'm not really into altered (laughs) states of the brain and and stuff like that personally but it yeah, it's just cool to see how he uses the drugs to knock out the other, you know, the, the Lorians who are hostile and killing people and, you know, how, yeah, they're just able to do different things with their magic, mm-hmm. um, with the natural magic. And then the last thing that I was really thinking about is kind of Alice when she's brought back into her body she calls it I think an oily cage Mm -hmm. like she has so much disdain for her body and how weak it is and how confining it is all of the knowledge that she was able to hold before and have now it's like fading and yeah I just I thought it was interesting as she's looking at herself her reflection in the mirror with this this very like disconnected feel that's what I got from it of feeling like she's different than this or more than this Mm. or whatnot. Um, And so, yeah, I was just kind of thinking about if there could be some parallels to body dysmorphia, if there could be some parallels to um, disabilities, uh, especially ones that aren't seen, you know, like Mm. I suffer with, sometimes it can make you feel quite estranged from your own body because, Your body might look a certain way, but it feels a completely different way, or um, you can feel betrayed by your body. Like, why does it hate me? (laughs) Mm. Um, And so, yeah, the way that she's looking at herself, or like, yeah, I don't feel comfortable in this body. This body doesn't feel like me. I'm not this. I don't think that they're really going there as we continue on with the series, but those were just, like, little things that came to my mind when I was watching.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting.
1: What about you? What are the setting and society elements you were thinking about?
0: I found it really interesting to see how Julia was, like, feeling good with a shade, but not her shade. Mm. And I wonder if that, like, feels different at all to have someone else's shade inside of you. Yeah. Just what that experience is like. Uh, we don't see much of it. She loses Alice's shade quite early in the episode, but it, yeah, it just makes me very curious about what that experience is like.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been fascinating if there was like a whole couple episodes with that, but yeah, they didn't have the space for that. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Or, or yeah, a talk between Julia and Alice about, Hey, I, I had some of you inside of me and it, it,
1: that's a way to say that.
0: <laughs> made me, uh, made me understand you in new ways or, or something. I just would find fascinating. I also, frankly, would have loved to seen the first time that Julia meets Mayakovsky, which we unfortunately yeah. don't, because that must have been delightful,
1: right? I'm sure that he would love her. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, the only
1: uh, student he's ever liked <laughs> that would be Julia. <laughs>
0: um but the 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 main thing that i was struck by in this episode was josh's philosophy being hakuna matata <laughs> yeah.
1: what a wonderful phrase
0: <laughs> so this is a swahili phrase that can mean like no troubles or as the song says no worries mm-hmm. um but i think it's interesting to see josh as a king utilizing it because it adds just this extra level of appropriation and exoticism to the phrase Mm. uh which is absolutely part of its history in our society uh disney has trademarked the phrase hakuna matata uh oh no (laughs) right of um,
1: course they have. Oh.
0: Exactly. And so there are petitions and... You
1: can't trademark someone else's language. Yes. Oh, my God. Exactly. <laughs> whoever approved that, I mean, it's it's terrible to even apply for the trademark. And then, oh, that reminds me. Remember when Kim Kardashian was trying to trademark kimono? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God, just get out of here. I just can't. I can't yes. deal with you people.
0: Exactly. So, you know, there is a lot of that cultural appropriation within our society, right? Yeah. And corporate, you know, the the powerful uh, appropriating culture for their own good. And here we see Josh now as a high king in his first act to appropriate a culture that and, and a term that he doesn't really understand. Mm-hmm. Um, All he kind of sees is it as an excuse to kind of allow him to have a hedonistic court. Mm-hmm. Like, one where he focuses on his pleasure, and that's about it. You know, he he only sees the whimsy of Fillory. He chases after Fenn, you know, when he's high, and he sees her, he, you know, and, and he realizes, oh, yeah, I guess Hakuna Samatada doesn't work, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he, he doesn't take things seriously.
1: Unlike Margot and Elliot, who were studying up on how do we Monarchs and rule and stuff. He takes his stuff from a Disney movie.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Granted, you know, he didn't have a lot of time. He didn't choose it in the same way. But yes, yes, yes.
0: Um. So yeah, I just I found that particularly interesting because yeah, Josh is still seeing Fillory itself as kind of a kids' book. You Mm -hmm. know, a, a, a magical, whimsical place that he ties into this other kid's song that he thinks of. And neither of them is he giving actual seriousness to, actual knowledge of trying to to understand within its own context, really just utilizing them for what he wants and what he sees. And yeah, I just thought that that was a, obviously a joke that was Mm -hmm. easily identifiable, but also uh, had some some deeper meaning to
1: yeah, yeah. And I mean combined with that their little montage of having the drugs and dancing around and stuff was set to rap music, mm-hmm. you know, and so you have some potentially anti-blackness going on in in those couple scenes at the very least very stereotyped. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um yeah, problematic.
0: Totally. But let's head into our next segment on themes and schemes. What do you have?
1: I think, yeah, kind of bringing back around that, what the fairy ambassador said about a power that acts not for game, but simply because it can, is when Julia is talking to Persephone, and she's like, you ignored us, and now you're here all of a sudden. Did you know what he was doing? You know, like, she is so angry and hurt and frustrated by persephone and it's like we don't know why she was just disappeared and now she's suddenly here you know it's just like on her whims whatever she decides and how frustrating and disheartening that is for mortals you know Mm -hmm. for those who aren't gods and you could see why in in the mythology of the show itself people stopped worshiping these gods Mm -hmm. because yeah they're capricious and they don't. Capricious great word. Oh thank you. (laughs) They just don't care and if they're gone maybe that's better for Mm -hmm. everyone. Uh, So yeah I, I was also thinking about another theme that we have been kind of tracking through this season with do you do something bad to prevent More bad? Do Hmm. you do the ends justify the means? With like the Mudong wanting to kill Julia so that she get rid of the demigod fetus and you know stuff like that. You have that kind of coming up at the end of this episode with Elliot's kind of new plan of, okay, well, I'll find a way to stay in Fillory and never get kicked out, and find a way to neutralize Ember so he doesn't destroy the planet and. Quentin being like, you're talking about conquering Fillory. And he's like, well, for its own good.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I mean, Quentin says it's, you have the same plan as Martin, which I don't think is exactly true. I mean, maybe there were aspects of this. Maybe Ember was doing some of these problematic things while Martin was coming to power there. Yeah. And so he's like, well, I'm not going to let you destroy my only safe place. <laughs> so it, it's possible, but we just don't really know that information. But yeah, I mean, anytime you're conquering and controlling, it is very much an ends justifies the means mentality, Mm -hmm. which uh, I'm not going to say that it's wrong or right in this circumstance, you know, uh, when you have, I don't know how many people live on this planet, that if Ember just decides to destroy it, they all die and, you know, all of that. But yeah, it's... uh, I think they're bringing up that complicated idea of it's not just simple. It's not just right or wrong. It's much more nuanced and gray and messy than that.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it is a way of, you know, conquering Fillory, but really just through the overthrow of Ember. hmm And Ember is showing that he is not a good steward of Fillory. hmm And so... Yeah, It's a coup
1: it's, it's, in a way, Yeah, but it's also not his planet, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And you're, if you're going to destroy a god of this planet, well, that god has a long history with all of the people of the planet and their histories and their myths and their practices and, you know, culture and everything. And so what is destroying that god do? And, you know, it, it brings up a lot of questions.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: And then the last one that I was really thinking about is kind of about fate versus agency mm. through the lens of the library. Mm-hmm. Because, as we know, the library has all the books that were ever written, all the books that were never written, and every, all the books of every person that's ever lived. And Sylvia says that the Order thinks that once your book is written, your fate is sealed, but I saw them resu- reshelve your book thirty nine times. So since time loops exist, she says she's Team Sarah Connor. No fate, but what we make. Um, which I had to look up because I've
0: never I've seen, those seen Terminator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Yeah, I,
1: I knew they were referencing something along those lines. Mm-hmm. But I'm like. Mm. And so, yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting idea that they're bringing up here. And including with the mysterious phenomenon of all of these books ending in blank pages. Great blank spot. You know, what is this? Yeah. And, and how does this coincide with people making choices? I mean, Penny here proves that that she says... You help me, you die. Like, that's what was written in her book of what happened, yet she was able to make a choice to give information to Penny, and then he was able to make a choice yeah. that made her book then end differently uh, of them not dying together, her dying alone. And so, just, it's, it's yeah, a really interesting concept that they're bringing up, but that I really like, especially since the library is so important in the world of the magicians,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and... um yeah with this time loop like we were talking about in the underworld like the underworld the underworld doesn't exactly know how to deal with these time loops or it doesn't deal great with them or you know and there's a lot of questions and so yeah when you're able to break linear time when you're able to change different things then i mean the netherlands stands outside of time in, in a lot of ways not completely mm-hmm. but in a lot of ways and then making the fate aspect not just be the fate aspect rather characters are making meaningful choices that are affecting things.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you could even connect that with Elliot, not just accepting that he can't go back to Fillory, that he's not welcome in Fillory. Him saying, no, I'm going to do something. I'm going to help. I'm going to fix things. I'm not just going to accept that the world that I care about is being destroyed or is being unjustly ruled.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, you know, which is very different from the librarians who say, "Okay, well, this great spot is coming, but we're not going to do anything about it."
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. What about you? What were the themes and schemes you were thinking about?
0: Yeah, the main one that I saw in this episode was the idea of trying to be a good person
1: mm.
0: in the conversation between Reynard and Gaines when Reynard asks gains like what are you going to do are you just going to keep trying to be a good person as if there is such a thing
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and we see
1: hate renard but i feel that (laughs) (laughs)
0: late
1: stage capitalism
0: yeah right can you be a good person this isn't a (laughs) good place podcast i know Uh, it could be (laughs) (laughs) uh i I do find it interesting in this episode, seeing a lot of people struggling with trying to do what's right, trying to be a good person, mm-hmm. and what that might mean in their specific circumstances. And so, yeah, we see Gaines literally sacrifice himself. He uses Katie to do so, but he thinks that Reynard is an evil, and so he's willing to sacrifice his entire life
2: mm-hmm. for
0: the destruction of Reynard. You know, he, in that moment at least, does try to be a good person.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and, again, he's a politician who knows if he is a good person <laughs> deep down, you know, or if, or if what his policies are or anything else like that.
1: And he did it through controlling another person. Exactly. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, he uses Katie as a tool, basically, to kill himself in that way. But when we see that alongside Sylvia telling Penny to go on, you know, Mm -hmm. not necessarily sacrificing herself in the same way, but also telling Penny that it's more important that he does survive than that she might survive. We see Julia apologize to Katie and ask her to be her conscience, Mm
2: -hmm. ask her
0: to tell her what's right and wrong because she trusts her. Um, And then when Julia is confronted with what to do with Reynard? she doesn't go along with Katie. Um, So there is still conflict over what's the right thing to do. Yeah. And how to be a good person. And it's a conflict that we don't see the gods doing at all.
1: (laughs) They don't care about that.
0: Not even Persephone. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Persephone doesn't tell Julia to save him because it's the right thing to do, but because he's her son and because it might have ramifications to kill a god.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And yeah, she has abandoned her believers.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, yeah, I find this this kind of idea of wanting to be a good person very, very interesting in this episode, especially, yeah, as we're gearing up to the end of a season, big things are coming, <laughs> and characters are trying to do what's right, and what that might mean to them uh, isn't always clear, but they're at least attempting to. Unlike... The gods who, in many ways, just accept things as they are or choose to change things to their own whims.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: These characters, in the face of gods as adversaries, still have to make these hard choices of, yeah, what's the right thing to do? How Can I be a good person? You know, Is there such a thing as being a good person in these circumstances? Gods don't care if there's about goodness. The humans do, which I find mm-hmm. just really powerful
1: yeah that's interesting too because that kind of connects to the librarians as well like Mm. even though they stand outside of time more than most humans do when it came down to that librarian being forced to open the poison room Mm -hmm. he hit the kill switch instead of doing that and yeah there are books in there apparently that can destroy entire worlds and, and things and so um him putting the importance of people not getting hold of that above his own life. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. But also he lied to Katie before about, no, we don't have any books like that, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, it's um interesting based off of characters' priorities and what, how they think that they're contributing to the quote unquote greater good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like I, Like we were talking about before, the library also believes that maintaining fate as it's written in the books is the greater good rather than trying to change it. Or
1: archiving knowledge as the greater good. Yeah, yeah. obviously terrible things are happening to people every day and those are being written in the books and Mm -hmm. it's like, we're not going to try to change those terrible things from happening. We're just going to archive the lives of these people. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right, well, why don't we move on to our next section from another point of view? Whose perspective did you bring to talk about?
1: So I was really thinking about Katie a lot in this episode because oh, it's she's being controlled. Like mm-hmm. She was forced to do some bloody killing ritual. On this acquaintance to collect their power.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Somebody is forcing their way through her mental wards to force her to do this. And Gaines says that he's sorry. You know, he he tells her he's sorry, but he can't make Julia do it after everything she's been through. Mm -hmm. Which, yes, what Julia's been through is horrific and awful and it just kept getting worse and, you know, all of this. At the same time, he doesn't know what Katie's been through. Yeah. You know, she was forced to work for Marina for, in in order to save her mom. Then her mom died a bloody death anyway. She had to flee from school and this person that she loved and, you know, she saw all of the new, healthier, good relationships that she formed with people. All of those people, Get killed in front of her, mm-hmm. and then she ran and has had been dealing with the guilt of that, and then struggling with drug addiction. <laughs> it's like she's had so much too, uh, and also growing up in a really unstable home and you know different stuff. So it's like it was a kind thing for Gaines to do to not have not force Julia to do this, considering everything she's been through. But like Katie's also been through so much. Yet she's forced to do it, you know? It's like, how is this going to now interact with her sobriety and everything? It's just like, she can't handle this either. I'm just like, where's Todd make him do it? Not that Todd would necessarily be able to handle it. But, you know, it's just like, ah, she's been through so much. And so many people don't know that. But because of her struggles, the trauma and... Really difficult things that she's been through, not being as apparent to to him, she's chosen to be this tool, like you were saying, uh, to for him to kill himself. And yet again, she is made powerless as she's frozen by Persephone. Mm-hmm she's put in so much work to get to this showdown with Reynard, Even risking her life to distract him so that Julia can get around the other way and shoot him, right? He could kill her instantly if he wanted to. And she's, yeah, put in months and months of hard work and pain and next obstacle Then in the moment, she's just frozen, can't do anything, say anything, can't give any input to Julia. It's the only decision is given to Julia of what to do, even though this is also Katie's fight. Bad things have happened to Katie because of Reynard as well. She had all of the trauma of her friends being killed and... Yet, it's Julia's the only important person here. And, and so, like, just how powerless, <laughs> frustrating, and used she must feel. And then knowing that Penny, the person who's still alive that she loves the most, since her mom's dead... He's dying and fighting to survive because he was poisoned in the process of getting a book that in the end you didn't even need to use. And he signed away a million years of his life Mm -hmm. to be able to get more information. That didn't need to happen either. Killing games being forced to do that didn't need to happen then because in the end it was all just a waste. And so, yeah, I was just thinking about her... Just feeling like everything she's been working so hard for, all of the sacrifices she's made, putting her life on the line, uh, almost dying several times, robbing this bank, and, you know, like, yeah. all of these things that she's been trying to do uh, must just feel so pointless and... Like, it was all for nothing, and yeah, she just must feel so used, like, used by her mother growing up, used by Marina, used by Reynard, used by Gaines, and then now, ultimately, I think, used by Julia, who she chose to still work with cautiously, and agree to be her conscience, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, katie's voices for you know the past two years the, at least this whole time that she's been at break Bells or well from the start of break till now and then probably very much in her childhood too like her voice is just ignored or silenced or overridden constantly and yeah it just must feel so depressing and disheartening and infuriating And now maybe you're going to lose the other person that you really love. I mean, I I think she loves Julia too, but like, she hasn't been as close to Julia um, as she was to Penny. And now maybe she'll lose him too, all for nothing.
0: And that's got to be especially hard if she's already struggling with addiction.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Like, yeah, I could absolutely imagine, you know, she's been having to control herself to fight overwhelming physical urges and yeah in the end was that even necessary Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: maybe it would have been better like i i can imagine the idea of like oh maybe it would have been better if i hadn't gotten clean if i Mm -hmm. hadn't tried to do that if i hadn't been fighting my own body this whole time because apparently
1: doesn't matter anyway. yeah Mm -hmm.
0: yeah poor katie
1: Katie is so often sidelined, and it's interesting to look at her as being sidelined as a character, not just in the plot, but within the actions of the other characters Mm -hmm. towards her. Totally. Poor, poor, poor Katie. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But what about you? Whose POV were you thinking about?
0: I was thinking about Elliot.
1: Great. I'm always thinking about Elliot. (laughs)
0: Um, And in particular, Elliot's determination to return to Fillory. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I I, I find the scenes where he's talking about that with Quentin as really, really insightful and illuminating for his character.
1: Totally. Uh,
0: Just some amazing Elliot character moments, you know. Uh, First, I mean, we see him pissed at Quentin for losing the button.
1: Mm -hmm. But
0: then, like, just seeing Alice makes him immediately be more understanding. Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, he's very much a person that's not going to like berate the person for doing it. He's just like, okay, well then what's the next, you know, like, absolutely. uh, We just need to find the solution. Yeah.
0: But I also think that he is someone who like, when he sees the idea of someone coming back to life, especially someone that you care that much for, like he, I think is more understanding of that because he's also had really strong, important relationships to him, like with Margot and with Mike yeah, I just, I, I, I see that in him.
1: And he's emotionally evolved. He can hold both sympathy and resentment yes. for, towards a person at the same time.
0: True. But I, I love his description of why he wants to find his way back to Fillory, because his adventure has just started, mm. right? That the adventure doesn't just end at the end of a book like it does for the, the Chatwins, but that for him, he is just having a family that's expanding in multiple ways and he is just starting to get the hang of being a King and make decisions for his kingdom, um, as well as for those who's close to, you know, his whole life has become his life in Fillory. Yeah. And for him to, you know, earlier in the season be torn in two directions with his golem and trying to live both lives And ultimately choosing his life in Fillory to live 100% there, to try to do everything he can as a good king there, for it to then be taken from him is just so crushing. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Because by this point, he does see that as his life and he's not willing or okay to just have that end Mm -hmm. or to be separated from it. He's not, you know, he says that he's not ready to walk away from from his life or from Fillory, you know, and I think that that's also true of his relationships. He wants to fix or save those relationships or the people in them. He wants to save Fenn. He wants to fix his relationship with Margot. You know, I think that these are things that are also on his mind when he's saying he wants to, he's not going to give up on Fillory. It's also, he's not going to give up on the people in Fillory that he cares about or the people as a whole, who I think he has, you know, if not, personal care for at least a care for the idea of as and, and responsibility for.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, if he doesn't return and go through with this marriage, mm-hmm. then even if, Ember, even if Ember doesn't destroy Fillory, all of the Fillorians very well might go to war, or might, you know, have death, the bloodshed, torture, you know, like all of the things that happen in war right and that's just a a, the smaller piece of and ember might just destroy the entire planet Mm -hmm. and like you know yeah him him pleading with umber to help and then when he's like if you won't then at least let us try yeah which is really powerful he's like This God, God with all of the power (laughs) over this world, like,
0: won't do anything. Yeah, it cares so little that he only wants to make a new world. He wants to start over as if it's just a project, you know, something that that is meaningless. And it has so much meaning for Elliot. Yeah. You know, Quentin was the one who loved Fillory, loved the idea of Fillory at the beginning of the series, But Elliot, more than anyone, is the person who has loved Fillory through his actions and grown a Mm -hmm. love of Fillory that is sincere and that is comprehensive. And it's not just, yeah, an idea of something that he could use to escape, Mm -hmm. but instead is an actual place with people and a society with complications and difficulties but also one that is his home
1: yeah he's finally not trapped there yeah and he's not just celebrating that he wants to go back to the place where he has been trapped for a couple years or however (laughs) long this is you know exactly because yeah he has a love he has a sense of responsibility he has a commitment to this place
0: exactly and so with all that in mind like When I think about how, at the beginning of the episode, Elliot says that he thinks that he's a fuck-up. Yeah. I'm just so sad for him.
1: (laughs) Elliot, no. Because
0: he's doing so much. He's done so well considering his position and his experience and knowledge. He has grown so much. And I just hope that he sees that. Because we obviously know that Elliot is very proud of his style and Mm -hmm. his wit and things like that. But, like, I hope that Elliot also gains pride in his actions and, yeah, his determination and hard work.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also, I mean, (laughs) kind of similar to Katie, I can't imagine what it would be like to hear. From one of the gods that just like, oh, I faked my own death and left to Mm. save myself. That, oh, no, like, you weren't meant to fix Fillory. You were meant to entertain. Because Elliot has been trying so hard. He's saved all the people from starvation. He's (laughs) averted a war. You know, he's been doing all of these things, trying to be in this marriage that's very difficult and uncomfortable for him. Like, trying to, okay, do the right thing, not execute this person. Trying to gain insights from the Foo Fighters. Trying to accept and meet the unwanted challenge of potentially being a father you know like mm. he's trying so hard in all of these ways and so much of his life in, in fillory and even before when they were you know trying to defeat the beast and then to hear like oh no you're supposed to be entertaining clearly you bored ember so much that he kicked you out yeah you weren't entertaining enough you were trying to help the society yeah. too much.
0: You weren't going on adventures and quests. You're just trying to solve problems. Yeah.
1: So frustrating. Yeah, I would be livid. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, we have a, a really interesting place to to head into the last episode.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Where, yeah, I think that, that we are, and the characters are, understandably livid at the gods. And Ember, in particular, in Fillery, And so, yeah, we'll have to see. See what happens then.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, for our last section on this episode, what do you think about the title of the episode, Ramifications?
1: Yeah, yeah, I I like it. I like it because, you know, they're rams. So, it's a pun.
0: Oh, yeah, I didn't even pick that up. Oh, that's yeah, good. so
1: So, it's a pun, and it's like, yeah, there's a, a lot of ramifications are all coming up. We're down to the wire of everything that's going to happen in this season. And,. Yeah, there's been a lot of ramifications. And I think a lot of the the season has had a running theme of consequences and ramifications for actions and choices. So yeah, I like it. Yeah, me too. And then yeah, when you can when you can combine that with a pun, great. That,
0: that's the magicians. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, well, what's happening next time on the magicians?
1: So we're gonna finish up this season with episode thirteen. We have brought you little cakes, where we have the return of Margot with a new fashion accessory.
0: Ooh. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we hope that you'll join us on Patreon so that you can be a part of our monthly Zoom meetings. We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek Geek out. out!